Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Sheikh Azra Rashid. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Good to see you again. My second yes. visit to your esteemed uh, mosque and to meet yourself. So, Alhamdulillah. It's a real pleasure to be here. For those who don't know, uh, Sheikh Azra is a scholar who currently lives in Birmingham, here in the UK. He began his studies in Birmingham, later moving to uh, Damascus to study. And uh, he's a teacher of Islamic studies. Um, but continues uh, to pursue his knowledge on Islamic fiqh, Aqidah and other contemporary issues. Now, he's the author of this book, Navigating the End of Time. Um, that's a fascinating cover design. I think there's obvious influence from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings uh, there. So why did you feel the need uh, to write this book, Sheikh? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <clears throat> With regard to the book, the mm. book has a history. The history relates to being exposed to a hadith on the end of times. So in the 1990s, there was numerous books published on the end of times, just the hadith right. without commentary. So right. a young person would pick up the books like Ibn Kathir's book, The Signs Before the Day of Judgment, mm -hmm. published by Darut Taqwa. And <clears throat> you read the book, but there was no commentary. Right. and know what we would refer to as tartib, ordering, giving a person a timeline as right. to what is the sequence of events and this would lead to confusion. So that was one reason. Later on, <clears throat> when I started studying with the ulama, I was exposed to the book Ali Shah Ali Ashrati Sa'a, which is this book of uh, Al-Imam Muhammad bin Abdi Rasul Al-Barzanji one of the scholars of Al-Madinatul Munawwara, he wrote this book around well over 300 years ago. Mm -hmm. So the, the Islamic date of death, which is 1103, he passed away. Right. So this book gives some kind of sequence and timeline from the time of the Prophet until the time of the author. But then many events were left for them to unfold and then subsequent generations of people will be able to unravel the meanings of those mm, hadith. Mm, mm. With the influx of technologies, then we became exposed to so many different signs of the end of times, like the mm. talking shoes and mm. so many uh, other technologies which were mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith. But one of the major <clears throat> factors which led me to write the book was people being exposed to cult leaders who will then misinterpret the hadith and exploit people right. to the point that you had in the year 1999, remember the Y2K bug? Yeah. <clears throat> you had people saying that the Y2K virus mm. will yeah. uh, have the computers crashing and the airplanes will be falling That's right. from the skies. I do remember actually. Yeah. And you had Tony Blair entering the, the dome in London, and but that was on the night of in Ramadan, right? On the night of Ramadan. So as Muslims, many young Muslims were talking, the Y2K virus will make the system collapse, and we need to go out into the countryside and get ready for the end of times. And you had Armageddon cults actually going out into the countryside with candles, waiting for the end of times to happen. Yes. And all of this is a result of not understanding the fiqh. The, the understanding of the ahadith of the end of times. Mm. But this didn't only happen with Y2K. There were n numerous mm. instances. For If you remember the Olympic Games in 
2012, there were people misinterpreting the hadith regarding uh, an event happening in the month of Ramadan, which will be, which is referred to as the Hudda. The Hudda is the great explosion, and they said, in fact, it's the British army will place, the British government for some strange reason will place nuclear weapons around London and carry out a nuclear attack on London mm. to bring in about a world government. So Muslims were misusing the hadith and compatibilizing that with conspiracy theories. Mm. So you had Rick Clay in 2007, who, a young man who made conspiracy theories about the London Olympic Games and mm. the logo. And then you had Ian R. Crane, who's passed away as well. Both of them have passed away. Rick Clay committed suicide after, and Ian R. Crane just passed away. Mm. But they, mm. they were exponents of a conspiracy theory of nuclear attacks happening on the London Games. But young Muslims were falling into this right. and applying some of the hadith in order to fit in or forcing an interpretation on the hadith in accordance with conspiracy theories. So you're trying to, you're trying to bring this, these, uh, all these hadiths in some kind of normative Sunni tradition with some commentary, some good common sense, and also to try and uh, uncover and even expose some of the cult leaders. You write a lot about cults in your book. But the, the book's divided into two sections, isn't it? it it's, uh, there's the map and then there's the compass. Could you say a few words about the way the book is organised? So th the first segment is with regard to the history of the end of time. So right. I do mention a few of the books written on Ashratu Sa'a. I make reference to a book of Nu'aim bin Hamad. Recently, someone attempted to critique the book and they said, why is he relying upon Nu'aim bin Hamad when Al-Imam al-Dhahabi said the book is full of forgeries? The response to that from myself is firstly that if you check the end notes, which you have been reading, yeah. you will find most of the references, the hadith references, are from authentic works. So, right. for, for instance, on this page, you'll notice there is only one reference from Nu'aym bin Hamad. The rest you'll notice Ibn Abi Shayba, Sulami, Sahim, yeah. Imam Muslim, Muslim, Ibn Majah, yeah. Yeah. Imam Ahmad. The majority of the quotes mm. of the hadith are not from mm. uh, Nu'aym bin Hamad. Secondly, not all the hadith in the collection of Nu'aym bin Hamad are actually a week of forgeries. There are Sahih and Hassan right. hadith within the collection. Right. Secondly, the collection was utilized by Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Rasul al-Barzanji in his book Al-Isha'a. Right. He utilizes mm. Nu'aym bin Hamad. Uh, Imam Ibn Hajar al-Haytami al-Makki also utilizes Nu'aym bin Hamad in his book on the Mahdi, Al-Imam Jalaluddin al-Suyuti also utilizes him. He, he is relied upon by many people. So the, the beginning section deals with some of the main works written on end of times on Ashratu Sa'a. Mm. And it eases the person into the importance of the Ashratu Sa'a through the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam. Well, I just want to come to that because that is obviously indisputably an authentic hadith. It's like it's in Bukhari, is it? Yeah, and, and, and Sahih al-Imam Muslim. Muslim. And this is the, the, the opening uh, hadith that you mentioned. You quote <coughs> from this extraordinary uh, hadith. Well, I won't quote from it before in, in its entirety, but it's often called the, the mother of all prophetic narrations, I, I understand where the angel Gabriel appears to the prophet upon whom be peace and instructs him about Islam. Um, and I just want to ask you about this. So there's an extraordinary, just a couple of sentences, um, where uh, Gabriel says to the prophet, uh, talking about the future, the slave girl shall give birth to her mistress 
and you will see barefooted, naked, destitute Bedouins competing in the construction of towering buildings. I mean, why is this hadith so important? Uh, and, and in what ways has this come true? Because um, clearly it has come true in some respects today in a very dramatic way. We were talking about Mecca before we recorded and what's happening around the Haram. So the first segment, Antali Dalama to Rabbataha, is in reference to the slave girl giving birth to the uh, her mistress. Yeah. This traditionally was um, commented upon as being what that different kings, when they take slave girls, then they will have children with those slave girls yeah. giving birth uh, to their own mistress. But right. later on, some of the ulama say the segment of the hadith has two sections. The slave girl shall give birth to her mistress. And the second one, the first one refers to a change of mindset. Right. Can, you, the, can you elaborate on so, that? This is very interesting. And, uh, the, the change of mindset in terms of in ancient times, the upbringing of people was such that a child would not treat their mother as being what? as being a, a slave girl to them. Right. They would treat their mother as their mother. But right. in the end of times, a, a shift in mindset will occur. This does not negate the traditional explanation mm -hmm. because sometimes a hadith can have multiple interpretations within one statement. The second part, which is, You'll see the naked, destitute, barefoot people competing in constructing tall buildings. How, how does that come true? Traditionally, Al-Imam yeah. Al-Qurtubi said, <clears throat> oh, it's become true because in, in Cordoba, in Spain, they're building tall buildings. But today, yeah. we see the Burj Khalifa, which I make a reference to in Dubai, such a huge construction, the tallest building in the world, wow. but they do not even have a drainage system. Wow. So the Bedouins have literally constructed or commissioned the construction of the tallest building in the world, but they have hundreds of slave workers from Indo-subcontinent coming every day from Africa and from India who take tons and tons of excrement mm. and shift that every day. So you have the, the co combination of capitalism in its true yeah. form, but at the hands of the Bedouins, not the traditional rulers. So the traditional rulers like the Ottomans were not Bedouins, no. they were sophisticated rulers, meaning they've had hundreds of years of kingship. And, and, and aren't the Saudi authorities talking of building the tallest building in the world, in, in, is it, in, in, in Mecca itself? Yes. Um, so this is, this is quite a dramatic So the, that sign has occurred literally now. We've literally. had a shift in two ways. A shift in the mindsets of people in, through the education system. Right. And as you would know, the education system, the modern education system, was only introduced to keep the peasants in the factories at bay. So they, they are molded in a particular way. Mm -hmm. So that education system has been shifted from the west to the east, right. changing the mindsets of the people that the children now will treat their parents like slaves. And then the literal manifestation, the material manifestation in the construction of tall buildings mm. A, a, a shift not only in mindset but a shift even in city construction city planning mm -hmm. a, a shift from uh, old cities old arab cities were constructed in accordance with 
uh, a view of the environment. So you've been to Marrakesh, how the old city is constructed. Mm. It's keeping in mind the environment. Mm -hmm. But the new cities, they do not keep the environment in mind. No. They, they construct everything with marble, marble which gives off more heat as opposed to yeah, yeah, stone yeah. Um, and mud. Mm. Uh, like the ancient cities. So mm. all of this shift and in the hadith of Dajjal, which is cited in the book later, Tamim al-Dari, uh, the hadith of Tamim al-Dari, Dajjal later asks Tamim al-Dari, how do the Arabs live? Do they still live in their tents? Mm. It's an interesting question because yeah. in the end of times they will shift from their tents to these tall constructions, these tall buildings. Well, you mentioned the Dajjal. I mean, who is the Dajjal? I mean, for someone who doesn't know anything about this subject, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about an individual, a historical person who will come in the future. And what are the signs <clears throat> of his coming? So there's a few things with regard to his identity as well. Generally, mm -hmm. people read the hadith of Nawas bin Sam'an, radiallahu anhu, in the Sahih of Imam Muslim, which is a long hadith, which gives you the entire details of his appearance and when he will appear in the end of times before the descent of Isa right. but with regard to the exact identity of Ad-Dajjal people disputed right. the exact identity some of them went with the opinion that Ibn Sayyad a young Jewish man who lived in Al-Madinatul Munawwara in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he is Ibn Sayyad some people took this position but the correct position is Ad-Dajjal is an individual who was uh, created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and will appear as a messiah in the end of times starting from the direction of Khurasan then Asfahan Khurasan being in Afghanistan he will make his descent into Asfahan which is in modern day Iran and then go into cities like Basra and Al-Kufa and then go into Syro-Palestine when he enters Syro-Palestine he will have a global outreach wow. but his appearance is post Ad-Dajjal uh, post Al-Mahdi Post Armageddon, what Christians ah. refer to as Armageddon, we refer to it as Al Malhamatul Kubra, the Great Slaughter. So he will be appearing in a post-apocalyptic world. So, so the Mahdi then will be uh, coming, will return, or will come into the world before then. Um, so who is the Mahdi then, it, it, and is he the <coughs> same as the like the Second Coming? Is it like the, like a or the Antichrist? I mean, who, who would he be? So the Mahdi is is. A figure who will be born in the family, the progeny of the Prophet He will be a Khalifa, right. meaning a Caliph on earth who will establish Islamic rule mm -hmm. at a time when the world will be filled with what? Muli'atil ardu dhulman wa jawra, the hadith states, the earth will be filled with oppression and tyranny. So the levels of oppression and tyranny will fill the world to a point that a, a, a person will appear like Al-Mahdi. But he's not a prophet, he's not a messiah. Right. He's not, uh, according to the Sunnis, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'at, which is us, he's not uh, a ma'asum imam, which is a sinless imam. He's what? An imam who is a khalifa. Like the previous khulafa, al-Rashidun, he will be guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he is not what we refer to as ma'asum, absolutely sinless, mm. in the sense that he does not have the nature to sin. We say he can be protected, mahfuz, by Allah from sin, but not ma'asum. Ma'asum would mean it's intrinsically impossible for someone to sin. We right. only say that's mm. only for prophets, alayhi salam. So he will appear, but the, the issue goes back to the reason for writing the book. There have been Mahdi claimants. Mm. 
So you've had Juhayman al-Utaybi in Mecca from 1979 when he hijacked the Mecca Masjid. And you have had even Harun Yahya and the likes who, who yeah. have been Mahdi claimants. Yeah. So the Mahdi claimants and the signs before the Mahdi and the signs before the Dajjal is something which people have placed, uh, they have made convoluted, people become confused as to the timeline. Right. What timeline, in which order will these signs So you, your book is trying to clarify the timeline and get, get the right order of events rather than this yes. kind of uh, chaotic picture. So you, you mentioned um, Mirza and Ghulam Qadiani and his claim to be the Mahdi and the Messiah, I think. Well, what's his story and why, why is he a problem, do you think, for Sunni Muslims? So within the book, there's a few false Mahdi claimants I've covered. Mm. One of the most prominent is Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiani. Right. And I give a bit of background. So generally, I'm interested in the psychology of these individuals. And like Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. What was the psychology the of... the Apostle Paul in the first century. Yeah. Yes, what yeah. was the yeah. psychology of Paul converting? And I mentioned right. to you more recently yeah, yeah. with regard to William Sargent's uh, theory where he states uh, extreme hatred for something can sometimes lead someone to a sudden conversion toward mm, what, mm. to what, what they had bigotry against. Exactly. So, uh, so here in this case, uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiani, I made my own objective study if people can call it objective, meaning the Qadianis, or they refer to themselves as the Ahmadi community, mm. they will say my study is not objective, which is fine, but I've attempted to reference everything. So you've, mm. you've noticed in the end notes, mm. there are references yeah. for most of the claims. Even recently, some people associated with an Indian seminary, they claim that my references to, uh, to uh, Hakim Nuruddin, Mirza Ghulam's <coughs> caliph, those were not referenced properly. They made that claim. But in reality, there are references <coughs> made in the book <coughs> on the end notes. And we have additional, I've notified my editor with regard to those references, and he will be furnishing up more references right. for that association with that Indian seminary or a particular figure within so, that so, Indian but seminary. He, he claimed to be the Mahdi, so why in your view <coughs> was he not the Mahdi, but, but a false claimant to that title? So I mentioned in, 19, in the 1860s, he went to Sialkot, worked as a clerk, had interactions with Christians. Right. And why I mentioned Paul to you was because Christian missionaries in the 1800s were very volatile in their preaching. Yeah. <clears throat> Not too different to the Hatun Tashis of the world today. And they would use vulgar language against Islam. Yeah. I believe Mirza had a psychological conversion similar to Paul in the sense that he went to the point of insulting Isa later in his works. He has insults to Isa But why would a Muslim insult Isa it seemed like a psychological assault on his mind. Mm. Later on, he started to take drugs uh, because in India they have a tradition. We even have it in our native region, a Hakim tradition. We have a, in the local village, you'll have apothecary, meaning uh, a medicine man yeah. who will give you natural medicines. Mm. And he took some of these medicines and some of those medicines contained 
cannabis. Oh. And aside from cannabis, and I've mentioned the references as well. Yeah, yeah. Aside from cannabis, there was opium. And I believe that opium and cannabis combined with uh, an inflated ego, because at the time people respected him for refuting Christians to the point that some of the uh, Ahli Hadith journals at the time, they mentioned that people would uh, even take his wudu water for, for blessings. Wow. Meaning that leads to a megalomania. You yeah. see that in some of the, the peers today, in some of the peer culture, with if everyone's kissing your hands yeah, and kissing yeah, your feet yeah, and, yeah. and you do not have discipline, it can lead to megalomania. So a combination of megalomania, a combination of psychological assault on the mind of Mirza Ghulam by the missionaries, mm. and a combination of drugs, I believe, led him to claim to being a messiah and initially claimed to be Mahdi. Yeah. which is a false claim because the Mahdi has to be Ahlul Bayt from the family of the Prophet Sallallahu He's from the people of the Hijaz from Western Arabian Peninsula, not from India. So what Mirza did, he, he, he did what I mentioned, the fallacy of forcing an interpretation right. on the Hadith. Mm-hmm. So the Hadith mentions that Isa will descend on the Eastern Minaret of Damascus. So what Mirza Ghulam said, is if you draw a line from Damascus all the way to Qadian, uh, you re- it's the east of Damascus. Qadian is on the east of Damascus. That's forcing an interpretation. Mm-hmm. So he had a minaret constructed, and the minaret was never completed in his lifetime. So the the, so the prophecy was not fulfilled for him. Right. But his followers today, the Ahmadis, so-called Ahmadis, they will attempt to convince everyone that all the prophecies have been fulfilled. If you remember the por- uh, portion where I mentioned the eclipse, he claimed that the two, the lunar and the solar eclipse occurred in his lifetime, That's which right. is a sign of the Mahdi. Mm-hmm. I refute that yeah. in detail. Yeah, you do. Uh, and uh, there are many other things which I mentioned with regard to Mirza Ghulam. Okay. Now, in the book, you write a great deal about cults in general, not necessarily Islamic ones, of course. But what is a cult and how can we protect ourselves from these groups? Because they, these are very intense little grouplets, aren't they, that can, can lead to great harm. I mean, the, one of the sects you mentioned led to a mass suicide. So they, they can be a serious problem. Yes, led by Applewhite, the mm. leader of Heaven's Gate. Mm. Uh, I think they committed suicide in 1996. But cult brainwashing is such a thing that if you uh, read books on brainwashing, you'll find that two types of uh, brainwashing are very effective. One mm. is what they refer to as torture, which is carried out by governments. So Saddam Hussein's government, other governments, all governments are mm. well known for torturing what the British did, the Irish with the white sound and what um, the Americans did or what uh, every other government is involved in some form of torture where they torture the victim to brainwash them. China is a famous example, post uh, Mao Zedong. Uh, but a second form of brainwashing, they refer to it as religious brainwashing. But Islam as a deen doesn't have brainwashing in the sense, if you look at the methods of brainwashing, it's bringing people into states, into uh, hyper states. So breathing like um, um, Rajneesh, the Rajneesh cult, they would do uh, heavy breathing exercises, uh, oxygenating the mind. And that can affect your your mindset. Uh, Yes, so some of these groups, they have, or you have the voodoo type dancing, where people dance around the fire to the point that they 
get into an ecstatic state, they become more suggestible. Or for instance, Hitler, what he would do, he would have mass audiences and they would shout for long mm. before Hitler would go on the podium and get, deliver a speech because now they are exposed, their minds have uh, relaxed and they are exposed to what to, to being indoctrinated. So these are methods of brainwashing which have been covered by uh, so many different writers. I reference some of them in the book. But what interests me here in terms of is a specific form of cult brainwashing. Mm. That specific form of cult brainwashing for the book is with regard to end of times. Yeah. If someone isolates a group of people, isolation is one point, they isolate them from wider society. Secondly, they misinterpret uh, hadith, in the case of Muslims, hadith and Quran. Uh, like Harun Yahya, he kept people in a, an isolated compound. He misinterpreted uh, hadith and sunnah, uh, the sunnah of the Prophet And the third step uh, would be, uh, aside from isolation, misinterpretation, is an emphasis on dreams, mm. an emphasis on uh, visions, on these type of things. Not that in Islam we have dream interpretation. We know dreams are true and dreams have meanings. But when you have a combination of false dreams, because Juhayman al-Utaybi even claimed to have dreams that the Mahdi will appear, Muhammad al-Qahtani, his brother-in-law is the Mahdi. He combined all of these things. And this shows that it's not from one particular group. So you have mm. the Christians in the Bible Belt, but you have Christians in Russia, like the Viserion, who was arrested last year for claiming to be Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I was he arrested, I didn't know he was arrested. He, yes, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, there's that's, actually a video of him, you can see him looking like Jesus and trying yeah, to get followers. So that was one good thing Putin Gosh. did. Or Miller in Australia, who claims to be a former Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Yeah. Or you have uh, in, in America, there's numerous cases. Similarly, in the Muslim world, you've had historical cases. So if you remember, I mentioned historical cases yeah. from the time of <coughs> Musaylam al-Kadhab and then from al-Muqanna, the masked one, the veiled one, mm. who even raised an entire army to fight the caliphate. Uh, this has happened historically. And uh, Juhayman al-Utaybi case in note, because he is Salafi and not Sufi, so people tend to associate that type of brainwashing with Sufi cults, but it's also found in Salafi cults as well. So Juhayman al-Utaybi was a fine example of that, isolating himself in the desert, uh, withdrawing, uh, then misinterpreting hadith. It's a do-it-yourself type of process with right. the hadith, right. and then utilizing dreams and visions in order yeah, to yeah. convince people. It's a very potent mixture, isn't it? I mean, the, the yes. isolation and the dreams and the hadith and all mixed up together. And, and it uh, confuses and the mind of the... Yeah, yeah. Of the, the I mean, you mentioned um, how, how Yahya, uh, as, a, as a kind of a cult leader, I remember seeing uh, his very colorful books uh, uh, on sale in Islamic bookshops, and I actually, um, I bought one, actually, um, and he was enormously popular, wasn't he, for refuting Darwinism and in fact, everything was to do with all the modern ills, it seemed to me, he attributed to Darwinism, whether it be, you know, atheism or any evil in the world. So, but, but, but he has fallen from grace, isn't he? I think he's now languishing in prison in Turkey. So what, what's, what's his oh, Over a thousand-year-old sentence. So <clears throat> there is a book written on Harun Yahya, the Mahdi will wear, uh, will wear Amani, the name is like this. That book was written pre his arrest. And they give some historical background. The author gives some historical mm -hmm. background with regard to Harun Yahya. Uh, 
Harun Yahya was actually influenced by the Quranis so who reject the Sunnah. So some of his positions on women's covering was taken from the Quran-only sect. Right. Even though the Quran-only sect uh, person who influenced him uh, later disavowed him and said, I have no connection in that sense yeah. with his more bizarre views. But what Harun Yahya did is in the 1990s, he, he presented himself as an orthodox yes. uh, Muslim, yes. <clears throat> in, in the sense as a Sunni Muslim who is defending uh, mainstream Islam against evolution. But his book, The Evolution Deceit, if you remember, it was actually a summary taken from the Discovery Institute's work. So he was he was borrowing very heavily from Christian creationist yes. publications and websites. So he was actually plagiarizing or bar borrowing a lot of this stuff. This wasn't his original. Yes. Just recycling it and making it widely known in a Muslim audience. Yes. So so. Um, uh, Darwin's Black Box and right. uh, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. These were all the books written in that period, if yeah. you remember. Yeah. He was taking that information and presenting it to a Muslim audience and then adding a few additional things like he was denying reality. Yes. So yes. Uh, that goes against yeah. Sunni belief, yeah. Yeah. which uh, we state as Sunnis. Haqa'iqul ashya ithabitakum. This is all an illusion. And so, yeah. Yeah, which is, weird. Yeah. the reality is something established, yeah. but he yeah. said everything's an, uh, an illusion. Yeah. Falsely ascribing that to Ibn. Gradually uh, revealed more and more meaning. You, you remove the peels. And then the the, the uh, naked women started. But yeah, uh, on TV shows, he used to be there, and he used, he used to have these clearly, you know, uh, a certain type of woman, very young, very beautiful, but very scantily dressed, just sort of flanking him. Yes. Uh, in the and he thought, what is going on here? It's supposed to be an Islamic channel. Now you're these women are uh, very strange behaviour. Strangely enough, you had many prominent people, even attending his television show and. Uh, but I don't think they were aware of no. the cultic yeah. makeup of his group, yeah. which was he was keeping what he referred to as the kittens in isolation. Yeah. He sexually abused yeah. many of those women. Yeah. Uh, they, they found 60,000 contraceptive pills in his compound. He said it was to balance the the um, the height of the women, meaning the menstrual cycles of the women. Oh, right. but, uh, so all of that detail is in the book with regard to Harun Yahya. But what interests us is the apocalyptic end of times aspect of yeah, Harun Yahya. Yeah, yeah. There were subtle undertones of Mahdi claimant, uh, being a Mahdi uh, claimant. For, of, for him being of a Mahdi himself. Right, right. So he misinterpreted some of the hadith claiming that the Mahdi will be from Istanbul, mm. Constantinople. Uh, which of course is where he's from. Yes, yeah, so yeah. which is false. Uh, 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 because the, the reconquering of Constantinople is mentioned in the hadith and yeah. he, he misinterpreted that hadith to say he, uh, the Mahdi will be from Istanbul. Perhaps he would even go ahead to forge a false lineage as well, like some people did. They would make false lineages to claim they are from the family of the Prophet mm -hmm. So similar to him, I mentioned Abdullah Hashim and uh, Hashim Studios. And also, uh, if you remember the... Uh, documentary the arrivals oh gosh there was a there was a documentary in 2008 the arrivals <clears throat> what they would do is get movie clips and play uh, you know scenes from movies like lord of the rings and other dramatic movies yeah. and then place the hadith in between right to give the viewer the the impression that the signs of the end of times are happening yeah. now and the mahdi will be appearing imminently and all these type of things eventually a branch group of that, led by Abdullah Hashim, brainwashed a few youngsters, took them to Germany 
exploited them for their money. He bought restaurants and then now the German police is after him and he's absconded from Germany and gone elsewhere. Mm. And they also claim that the Mahdi has appeared in Basra city in the form of Ahmad al-Hassan, who is uh, some Shia cleric. Right who opposes the Twelver sect. So all of this detail is in there. It's a very, this book is full of extremely rich detail. It's absolutely fascinating reading. I, I'm almost, almost at random. I just wanted to quote, if I may, uh, a passage uh, from the book, page 230. Uh, the subsection is entitled The Anglo-European Monoculture. And then you quote a hadith, which I've never quite understood in the way you, you interpreted it, but it makes a lot of sense what you say. So you write, with the invention of automobiles and aeroplanes to transport people to Sham, the founding of Zionism, the finding of pharaonic mummies, and the dismantling of the caliphate as a system of governance, the Judeo-Christian or Western Anglo-European monoculture replaced the noble Muslim tradition and lifestyle. And then you quote a hadith from Imam al-Bukhari, the prophet upon whom be peace said, you will follow the ways of those people who were before you, span by span, cubit by cubit, i.e. inch by inch, so much so that even if they entered a lizard's hole, you would follow them. We said, O Allah's messenger, do you mean the Jews and the Christians? And he said, whom else? Mm. So that's the end. Of, then you make an interesting comment. This obsession with the ways of the Jews and the Christians never occurred until this modern era. Mm. This is what I found very enlightening and has intensified with the exporting of global corporations, designer labels, entertainment, ideology and lifestyles, among a host of things. Muslim unity under a caliph and an allegiance to a caliph, what became known as pan-Islam, was replaced by the Western ideal of nation-states. Few today know any other form of governance. It has been a century since the last caliphate. But what I found particularly interesting was that where you've contextualized this, this, uh, the Prophet's comments about the Jews and the Christians, whom else? Yes. So this has only really uh, been relevant to come true in the very contemporary world and not before then. Um, do you have, have any thoughts about that? So uh, if you look back, uh, a Judeo-Christian alliance has never been made historically except in the past 100 years. So yes. uh, since the Austrian... Um, founder of Zionism, uh, Herschel, yeah, Herschel, and I make reference to him as well. And the Balfour Declaration, 1917. All, all of that, all comes But this is together. very modern, it's not happened before, because the Jews uh, despised. It, it were despised by Christians, they were persecuted e Even until centuries. recent. Even right back to the early church, you see the early, the saints of the early church, okay. people like Chrysostom and others who are praised for being wonderful spiritual leaders, they were vicious in their attacks on Jews as Jews. I mean, talk about anti-Semitic. This was like really seriously anti-Semitic. But you're right, only very, very recently has this completely changed. And then suddenly this Hadith becomes e relevant. Even uh, Jew anti-Jewish riots broke out when King Richard, uh, the so-called, who I refer to as yeah, the lioness yeah. heart, yeah. Is, uh, was crowned. Anti-Jewish riots broke out because yeah. they were the tax collectors for the king. Right. So they, they were despised by the West to the point that even Hitler, when he carried out uh, his monstrosity of Holocaust, mm. that was a Western uh, fault, not 
Palestinian fault. So even uh, hatred for Jews was so embedded within Europe. Yeah, at the Nuremberg trials, some of the leading Nazis uh, defended their anti-Semitism on the ground. But look at Martin Luther. Mm. And Martin Luther, the great German reformer who, who brought about the Lutheran Church and the whole Reformation, he was a vicious anti-Semite as well. And they, they say, we're just quoting his work. And they were just quoting his work. Well, mm. a bit more than that. So you're right, there's indigenous to, to Europe, this, this anti-Semitism. Um, but, but the current yeah. alliance, which is supporting Zionism, so you have the Americans supporting Zionism, it's based on the, yes. the, the Christian Zionists yes. in, in America. You have, you have a strong Zionist lobby here in the UK. Uh, that alliance between and exporting a Judeo-Christian right. monoculture is something, a sign that we are witnessing today. That's a, that, that's a very, I've never seen that hadith as a, as a prophecy being fulfilled. Now, now you've explained it. This is why when you talk about having a commentary on hadith, it's so enlightening sometimes. Isolated hadith, I don't always get it. But when you put it in this context, they can make a lot more sense. And there's another one, another, another one, my, my favorite hadith, actually, which you, on page 235, you've subtitled Hot Coal. Uh, as uh, Termody uh, uh, reported one of his hadith, the messenger of God upon whom be peace said, a time of need for patience will come to the people in which adhering to one's religion will be like grasping a hot coal. Grasping a hot coal, is that, is that difficult? End quote. And then you say, this hadith informs us of the difficulty of practicing the religion in the end times and during these uh, fitan. That's a plural of fitna, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I wasn't familiar with that word until... You... This is also the period of time in which completion of one-tenth of the religion, this is another hadith, of course, will be equivalent to fulfilling the entire religion. The crucial secret of which, and this is the bit I found very helpful, is that most of the actions in the religion, in Islam, depend on right governance, yes. with rulings related to trade, marriage, divorce, uh, family law, penal codes, and innumerable other things needing to be affected in the presence of a caliph, hmm. judges, courts, and enforcement from the ruler. With the caliphate dismantled, the believer can only possibly fulfill one-tenth of his religion, uh, yet has the reward of ten times that. And then you quote um, a great Hadith scholar of Damascus um, of the last Badr century. Badruddin al-Hassan. Thank you. And he was asked after the uh, caliphate had been abolished, do we live in the period when holding on to the religion will be like grasping a hot ember? He responded by saying, shockingly I think, we live in the time later than that when people wake up in the morning believers, but by evening become unbelievers. Yeah, shocking. And that, yeah. that of course, is is, is uh, yeah. So with well. with regard to that, the first part, yeah, the the caliphate, yeah, the yeah. essential need of caliphate. Uh, the common example for us is marriage laws. So today right. you have uh, women complaining about dysfunctional husbands. Uh, in the old days, you could take him to a qadi. The Qadi will then right. straighten the man. But today, who do you take him to? They, people set up all these Sharia courts, but they have no real uh, judicial power, mm. no real enforcement laws. So that's just in family law. Right. In so, much, so many of our ahkam, uh, legal rulings, we cannot apply those legal no. rulings. And the second part you'll be more familiar with, which is people wake up as believers and in the evening they are unbelievers. Yeah. In the sense they are exposed to various un uh, kufr. Exactly. And they can ex easily adopt a, a belief of kufr, like belief in Mirza Qadiani, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that Mirza Qadiani was actually a Dajjal. 
yeah, shocking. And, and another another one um, which uh, is extraordinary. Uh, page two eight nine, um, and this is obviously quite controversial in a, in a UK context to talk about this, but they're not in other parts of the world. Legalized homosexual marriages, and you say, in these turbulent times, expect the sign of nikah al rajul al rajul forgive my Arabic, meaning a marriage contract between men. In the past, you've, this is very interesting insight, scholars interpreted this as openly homosexual relationships amongst Muslims. But we now know it literally means marriage contracts of single-sex couples in certain countries. Now, your next comment really rocked me when I read this, and I must admit I've not heard this before, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'd like you to elaborate on it if you wouldn't mind. It is inevitable, you say, that before long a Muslim-majority country, supported by a board of scholars, will legitimate homosexual marriage, calling down on it the punishment, as mentioned, this is earlier, passage of red wind or landslides the disfigurement of a whole community will occur at a later period before the sun rises from the west now uh, but what shocked me was not the punishment bit but your your belief that before long a muslim majority country supported by a board of scholars presumably ulama you mean will legitimate homosexual marriage uh, and I'm not saying you're wrong but because I guess if you look at a certain trajectory particularly things are going on in certain Middle East countries I won't mention them but very well known Middle East countries where you're seeing things happening there now which have been unthinkable a year ago in fact most people probably don't believe they're really happening but they are you know certain pop concerts and certain other activities alcohol alcohol and other things so Suddenly, what you're saying doesn't seem quite so implausible. But do you want to kind of expand on so this? So, in 2010, when I was in Hajj, yeah, I met uh, a Sufi Sheikh who said to me he heard from a Sheikh Tibr. Sheikh Tibr was deemed one of the high-level Sufis in in Mecca al-Mukarramah, and Sheikh Tibr said, "Not far from now, you will see gambling in in the in the Haramain in the." two holy sanctuaries and we thought this was far-fetched yes but recently you must have witnessed the a fatwa legitimizing a certain game which involves uh, gambling being uh, permissible now in Saudi Arabia and then everything else that has happened recently right. in Saudi Arabia right but what I based this comment on, firstly, just with regard to the source of that hadith. Yeah, so I just want to ask you, what's the source of this uh, hadith? So, where we're talking about a marriage contract between men. Uh, so yeah. th- there's two wordings of this. There's nikahu rajuli ar-rajula wa dhalika mimma harram Allahu wa rasooluhu wa yamkutullahu alihi wa rasooluhu. This, Barzanji cites it in al but there's a second wording, nikahul mar'ati al mar'ata. Oh, that's why I just read, yeah. Uh, 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 the one you read was nikahul rajuli al rajula. There's nikahul mar'ati al mar'ata. Okay. A woman marrying a woman as right, well. Right, right. Yeah. He references that to al darqutni al bayhaqi and Ibn al Najjar. But there are other references to that hadith. So this is an authentic hadith? Yes, yeah. I would believe this is an authentic okay. hadith. Okay. And the second hadith with regard to the red winds. Yeah, yeah. Mentions, uh, which I give the citation to, the reference to earlier, mm. uh, mentions that red winds will, and landslides and disfigurement will happen to people who legitimize the action of the people of Lut, the Qawm of Lut. Yeah, yeah. So that means that Muslims will legitimize those actions. Wow. The hadith is very clear on that. But what made me write that at that particular point was because we were observing the recognition of Israel, for instance, yes. by 
thick authorities, people who have yes. high positions well, in yes, some government, yes, yes. and who I refer to as, uh, who take the position of al-fiqh al-taysiri, which is a, a particular strand of uh, a trend towards taking fiqh positions which make everything permissible. Mm. And one of those things I can see with the LGBT lobby that we have here in the West, lobbying and pressurizing certain governments into giving fatwa that these type of marriages are permissible. Even in Pakistan, uh, there are loopholes within the law. So the, in Pakistan, they give certain recognition of uh, hermaphrodites. People utilize those loopholes and they can ah, use those loopholes yeah. to validate even a nikah. So if a person goes to a Pakistani uh, office and they say, oh, I feel like I'm a man or a woman, they can they can utilize those loopholes and have right. a man declared as a woman right. and then when he's declared as a woman he can also do nikah with a man right. Right. so there are so many loopholes just in pakistan similarly in other countries as time will go the hadith states ma min amin illa minhu there is no year except that the year that comes after it is more evil mm. so every year the increase of evil is happening Mm. God, it's quite, really, really shocking. So, um, just very briefly, uh, can you tell us about your experience with conspiracy theorists? Because <laughs> this seems to be a big problem online, uh, constantly encountering most bizarre theories. So, but, but you have experience of these people. Don't here, you? The, firstly, some people who take anti establishmentarian views mm. are labeled wrongly as conspiracy theorists. Right. So, we need to make that distinction between just having anti-establishment views or anti-capitalism views or certain political views are not always necessarily conspiracy so, theories. So sometimes the establishment can use these conspiracy theories language to weaponize uh, or to delegitimize rather any criticism of, of their own position. And lump it, everyone it, it, and, and it's a very clever move, isn't it? So you can just you attempt to discredit everyone by saying conspiracy theory. But of course, of course there are actual, sometimes there are really conspiracies. They do happen and some of them are well documented historically. So, yes. so one has to look at a case by case basis, I guess, exactly. rather than simply say it's all false. But actual conspiracy theorists yeah. who I mention uh, in the book, uh, an example of that would be flat earth theory. Yeah. So I've had a debate with an actual flat earth theorist, a Muslim, yeah, who really believes is. the earth is actually uh, flat. Yeah, now the yeah, problem... I, I know someone who's just it, like that. Yeah. <laughs> the he, he, this, this guy, I'm not going to mention his name, of course, but he's actually a bright guy. I really, I really like him, I respect him. But, and, I, and I discovered several months ago that he believes the earth's flat. And I'm thinking... Where did that come from? <laughs> so the, the problem is not so much their belief on the earth being flat. The problem is how they believe all the world's governments have conspired. That's it. Na NASA, satellites, government, Putin media, with Biden. Everyone. Because you really, it must involve a global conspiracy for it to, to be so... And then, and then they need yeah. to cover the, 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 the holes in the theory, which would mean that the, a ship sailing to the north yeah. uh, cannot sell off the off the edge so they they believe there's some magnetic pull that takes it around oh really i don't know so uh, and there's two suns because they need to explain uh why the earth uh, the seasons change the way they change so they they make a theory they need to ad hoc uh, yes um, ad hoc uh, modifications at every point believing there's this many moons and this many suns so uh, the most bizarre one of the most bizarre conspiracy theories was flatter theory but there are many more bizarre theories i mentioned if you remember 
my experience with two brothers who believed that the vaccines now is it the COVID-19? Yes, so let me make a caveat here. Yeah. If someone claims that the vaccines are harming people and they have scientific legitimate proof to, yeah. to validate that, that is not a conspiracy theory. No. What was a conspiracy theory was claiming that the uh, 5G towers are being placed and causing um, uh, the yes. virus, yes. which they claimed. Yes. And then claiming that the vaccines are intentionally being put out to kill yeah. the entire population. That's so a conspiracy. It, yeah. Now, what these people do is discredit <laughs> valid right. criticism. Because we need valid criticism in society. If we don't have valid criticism, then everyone becomes a sheep yeah. when lockdowns happen. And, and another and example don't... would be, again, it's very difficult to say this in the West, although it's a commonplace, I think, throughout the world. You talk about, you, you mentioned already the, the power of the, the Jewish lobby in, in Britain, uh, which, which is palpably the case. But the, the classic response to that would be, oh, that you're a conspiracy theorist. No, you know. Be, because uh, they are it, lumping it, it, you it, with uh, but, anti what well, they anti, anti, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism. But, but, it, but it's not anti-Semitism, nor is it a conspiracy theory. It's, it's a palpable fact that one can demonstrate empirically the simple power of certain interest groups and the power they exert over political processes and MPs is obvious, much more so in the United States, I, I would suggest. But to even say this, you label it a conspiracy theorist because it's like oh, Jewish conspiracies going back to the Nazis. So you, you associate it with the Nazis and you discredit the whole thing and then you can't talk about it anymore, which then sounds like a conspiracy it does sound like a conspiracy where you can't even talk about something anymore. So the whole thing becomes very toxic and, and people aren't just calming down and just looking at things objectively. Um, Again, if you, if you were to talk about the world financial system, hmm. the banking system, and you mentioned specific families, yeah. that would also be labelled as conspiracy theorists. Yeah, yeah. So here in the book, I kind of give guidance to younger Muslims not to fall into uh, illegitimate conspiracy theories. Meaning yeah. Conspiracy theories that have no actual foundation uh, discredit your argument, uh, like Holocaust denial. Mm, mm. What benefit is there in denying mm. uh, a historical fact? Mm. Okay, someone may say David Irving, was his name David Irving? David the, Irving the man the who was silent. Yeah. I believe he should have freedom of speech mm. and people can discredit him through actual scientific and historical but you mentioned him actually because he, he was he was a uh, he's called a holocaust denier and many of his statements so he's, he's a expert historian of, of the third reich and so on but i I've actually seen him on video uh, on youtube because there's some of his videos are still around they're not being taken down where he actually ultimately says look i have to uh, disagree with some of my you know um holocaust denying colleagues there is actually evidence the holocaust happened uh, and he actually mentioned specific documents, specific events in Poland and, and, and the eastern, uh, the western part of Russia, where there was a systematic extermination of Jews simply for being Jews. Now, he, he will quibble about Auschwitz, and I'm not going to go there, it's all very difficult. But I'm saying even he actually accepts the Holocaust happened. He quibbles about this aspect of it or that aspect of it. The numbers. And, and the numbers. And for that, he is, he is labelled, I think, incorrectly as a Holocaust denier. But we as Muslims would say one innocent Jew being killed is just as bad as six course, million innocent Jews being yeah, killed. Yeah. As Muslims, that's our position by but people. the point is you can't even discuss some things without it triggering this conspiracy But theory for David response. Irving's yeah. videos to be taken down... Yeah, which they are. Yeah. It, it violates you, uh, freedom of speech. And uh, at the same time... 
uh, if we have a truthful position on anything, we can easily uh, debunk that position yeah. rather than silencing that position. But again, the purpose of the book is to say we as Muslims do not adopt conspiracy theories which discredit us, like David Icke, for instance, oh, who believes yes. that the, <laughs> the moon is a alien construct that beams down an energy onto earth which gives us a certain view of reality and the reptiles he believes the royal family are is so it, is he it believes they he'll was it him he, uh, David yes yeah, so he likens the ro the royals to jinn so jinn shapeshifters right. Shapeshifter. okay let's say they're jinn the thing is it really uh, you need empirical proof for such statements you need a bit of evidence yes and <laughs> rather than just making assertions without having actual Proof. Yes. So one of the purposes of, of mentioning conspiracy theories was uh, to say that we shouldn't adopt positions which discredit us. Yeah. But secondly, not to mix conspiracy theories with the hadith on the end of times. They're mm. two distinct things. Mm -hmm. And many Muslims are falling into this. People talk about jinn technology on, uh, on videos. They mention uh, everything's created by the jinns. And, uh, you know, the more bizarre the, the conspiracy theory, the more easily people are... Yes. Consuming yes, that conspiracy yes, theory yeah, and then yeah. uh, combining that with the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Which gives it then credibility because it's an hadith, but yeah. But it's actual in misinterpretation. Yeah, uh, and not all hadiths, of course, are, are, are authentic. Um, well, I, I think there's probably a good, we could go on for hours talking about this. this. I mean, this book is very encyclopedic. It's full of fascinating uh, stories, observations, analyses, putting hadith in context, discussing time scales, the signs of the end. Uh, and I've learned a lot from um, uh, reading this, to be honest. Uh, some old hadiths I thought I understood suddenly become very new to me and much more relevant, to be honest, than they were before, particularly about the end times, of course. So I, I, I do uh, recommend that people um, have a read, uh, Navigating the End of uh, Time, uh, so it's available. Is it in paperback yet, or is it still in hardback? It's gone to. It's only in hardback. Only in hardback. It's gone to third print. Inshallah, right. it'll be uh, available again on all platforms, uh, Amazon and other oh, it bookshops. It's yeah. easy to get hold. Inshallah. Of. Fantastic. Well, thank yes. you so much, Sophie. Jazakumullah khairan. Nice meeting you as well nice again. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you. Till next time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And there we have it.